Good morning, church family. It's good to see all of your faces from up here this morning after a week off from preaching. However, it was such a pleasure to hear Ricardo finish the epistle of 1 John, 1 John last week with such clarity and boldness and precision. I thought after a sermon like that, I might just have him finish every book that we work our way through if we are going to go out with that kind of a bang each time. Thus, I just want to publicly express how thankful I am for my partner in ministry here, Mr. Ricardo Vargas, not only for his faithful preaching, but for also everything else he does around here. He is certainly a gift to me and to this church. But alas, with the epistle of 1 John, now in our rear view, we are going to turn our attention to John's second epistle. However, unlike John's first epistle, which took us approximately seven months to finish, Lord willing, we will only be in the epistle of 2 John for two weeks, just this week and next week. Because 2 John is not only a really short book, but it is also very similar to that of 1 John. And I say that because the Apostle John, he is still dealing with here the false teachers or the heretics, or the agitators who left the church because they denied that Jesus Christ truly came in the flesh and that it is only through the shedding of Jesus' blood that we can be forgiven of our sin and thus receive the gift of eternal life. And as I have made reference to repeatedly, these heretics who left the church over their heretical beliefs, they did not go peaceably or quietly. But instead, they formed a gang of false teachers and preachers, if you will, who went around to all the different churches within this community of churches throughout Asia Minor and, quite frankly, tried to deceive them and confuse them and convert them over to their own heretical beliefs. However, what we have to keep in mind here, church, and this is key in understanding the context of 2 John, is that these false teachers who were traveling all around, logistically, they still needed a place to stay and food to eat while they traveled. I mean, there wasn't the plethora of hotels and motels back then, nor was there an Airbnb or a Yelp app that one could just pull up on their phone and book a room or a meal somewhere. Therefore, it was the practice of Christian missionaries to find a local church body when they were traveling, and to be taken in by them, and to receive hospitality from that church and from its members. However, you can see here, church, how this practice could also be easily abused, which is exactly what was happening, because these false teachers were now also going directly to these local church bodies and asking to be taken in by them, just like a Christian missionary would. However, these false teachers then were going out and preaching a false gospel and blaspheming our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is within this context, church, that the Apostle John writes his second epistle in order to instruct a particular church body about what they are to do when these false teachers do indeed come knocking at their door. Which takes us now to our thesis statement, church or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. Christian, love in truth and walk in truth. 
Christian, love in truth and walk in the truth. Therefore, it is at this time, let's open our Bibles up, church, to the epistle of 2 John, as we will be looking at verses 1 through 6 this morning. And if you are visiting with us this morning and do not own a Bible, please know that is okay, because there is a Bible with your name on it located in the chairs in front of you, which is our gift to you this morning. Thus, please feel free to grab it and to open it up to page 1025 as we as a church body hear the Word of God together this morning. Again, we are in 2 John, looking at verses 1 through 6. For the Apostle John, he writes, The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, And not only I, but also all who know the truth because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady... Not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one that you have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, how good it is to come and see our church family this morning. How good it is to come into this house of worship this morning and to worship the God, the creator of the universe, the one who sustains all things, created all things, and is in and through all things. The one who gave us grace so that we could have faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And through that grace, and mercy, we also have peace with God and peace with each other. For we are one with Christ and we are united now in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, let us cling to that truth this morning, now, and forevermore. Father, I pray that you open up this dear congregation, this dear flock's eyes this morning to the brilliance and the beauty of your word. Open their ears, soften their hearts to be able to receive it, to keep themselves in the truth that they have heard from the very beginning, the truth that does not change, will not change, nor will it ever, ever change. And Father, I pray for grace this morning as well. Give me the words to speak. Let them be bold. Let them be humble. And Father, let them be in truth. In truth and in love to this dear flock, I pray. And let our worship this morning glorify you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one. As Christians, we are united with those who love the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As Christians, we are united with those who love the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verses 1 through 3. The elder to the elect lady and her children who I love in truth. 
And not only I, but also all who know the truth because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. So the Apostle John opens verse 1 with the greeting, the elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. Now, the elder here in verse 1 is the Apostle John, and we see that he is addressing the elect lady and her children. Now, although some argue that the elect lady and her children are a particular woman and her kids, the most likely interpretation of the text seems to be that the elect lady and her children are instead a particular church body and its members, likely a church body located within the realm of Asia Minor. And thus we are going to work our, thre- our way through the sec- or John's second epistle from that perspective. And the Apostle John is writing this epistle to a particular church body and to its members. A church body who the Apostle John, verse 1, loves in truth. For the Apostle John, he opens this letter by telling this dear congregation that he loves them, that he genuinely and authentically and sincerely loves them and is in essence united with them in the truth. Because this is a congregation who obviously is part of the family of God. And thus, as Christians, or as those who are called to love one another, especially Galatians 6.10, those who are of the household of faith, it is just natural then for John to love his brothers and his sisters in Christ. However, it's not only the Apostle John who naturally loves this dear flock. But it is also, verse 1, all who know the truth. For this is the hallmark of the Christian life, church, that those who love the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, naturally, they love one another. For as David Burgess affirmed, routinely, non-believers in the second century who observed the brotherly love of Christians toward each other marveled at what they saw and cried out, behold, how they love one another. The renowned Roman lawyer Marcus Felix, who lived in the second century and who became a Christian, testified that these early Christians loved one another even before knowing one another personally. Now, of course, many non-believers still scoffed at Christianity despite their love. For example, Lucian sneeringly wrote, Their master Jesus Christ has made them believe that they are all related and brethren. Oh, that our testimony to the world, Faith Bible Fellowship Church, would display that as well. That in Christ, that we are all now indeed brethren. But how exactly is this possible, church? How can the Apostle John and all other Christians who know the truth naturally love one another and be united with each other, even when they don't know each other or speak the same language, have the same interest, or come from the same background? And the answer is, verse 2, because of the truth that abides in them. Because of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that now abides in us, church, as Christians. For it is this truth that saved us, church. It is this truth that redeemed us. It is this truth that made us one in Christ. And it is this truth, then, that unites us together in love. Therefore, as those who are truly saved by Christ, redeemed by Christ, one in Christ, and united together through our faith 
in Jesus Christ, we then as Christians will continuously, constantly, and perpetually love each other. And I say that because this gospel truth that now abides in us, it isn't a truth that is here today and gone tomorrow. It isn't a truth that comes and goes like the wind, nor is it a truth that grows old or outdated or obsolete, but this is the truth, verse 2, that will be with us forever, Christian. Not briefly, not momentarily, not temporary, but forever, as in permanently, endlessly, and eternally. Thus, let that be a balm to your soul this morning, Christian, that the truth of Jesus Christ will be with you, Christian, forever. That the truth of Jesus Christ will be with the redeemed here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church forever. That the truth of Jesus Christ will be with the universal church forever, and the gates of hell will not prevail against that truth. So sure, some high-profile pastor, he might leave the truth of the gospel, or some high-ranking academic might object to the truth of the gospel, or some denomination might fly off the rails into theological liberalism and deny the truth of the gospel. However, never lose heart, because the truth of Jesus Christ, it is alive and active, for it is burning brightly and brilliantly in the heart of the Christian and in the heart of the church. And it cannot and will not ever be put out for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It will abide in his bride, the church, forever. And it is in that truth and in that truth alone, church, that makes us one in Christ and brings us, bonds us, and unites us together in love. However, the apostle John, he does not stop there, for he ends his greeting to this church with this. Verse 3, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. That for the Christian, or for that those with the truth of the gospel now abiding in them, as David Allen notes, comes grace, or God giving to them what they do not deserve. Comes mercy, God not giving to them what they do deserve, and comes peace, which is the resulting state that they now have with God and with each other because of God's mercy and grace. For this is the beautiful and marvelous and wonderful reality for the Christian that grace, mercy, and peace, verse 3, will be with us. Not that it might be with us, not that sometimes it'll be with us, not cross your fingers and hope it'll be with us. But for those with the gospel of Jesus Christ abiding in them, grace, mercy, and peace will abound. And how can we be so sure of this church? Or how can we be so confident and convinced of this church? Because of the source of it, church. For it comes to us, verse 3, from the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son. Thus, if you want to experience the totality of the Christian life in the here and now, a life where you have been given the grace of of God, granted the mercy of God, and have eternal peace with God, then you must abide in the truth of God, for it is only in that truth, church, that you will ever be set free. Which brings us to point number two. Christian, because the truth abides in us, we must now desire to walk only in that truth. Christian, because the truth abides in us, we must now desire to walk only in that truth. Verses 4 through 6. 
John writes, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one that you have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. Now John opens verse 4 with, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. For John is delighted, he is pleased and thrilled here, church, to hear that members of this body are walking in the truth, are walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which they have been called, Ephesians 4, are walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, Colossians 1, are walking in a manner worthy of God, 1 Thessalonians 2. However, what exactly does it mean when John says, walking in the truth? And as John Stott put it, the truth here isn't just something that is to be believed, such as that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and the only propitiation for our sins. But the truth here, it is also something that we as Christians must conform our lives to and walk in day in and day out, no matter what the world around us says or does or thinks. Because to walk faithfully in the truth, Christian, it is to not veer off into the path of worldly lust or to follow the false teachers into heresy, nor is it to walk off into theological liberalism because the pastors there are more hip and trendy, nor is it to be drawn into the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel because it promises you the desires of the flesh, nor is it to enter the wide gate of humanism or universalism or atheism because the world will celebrate how progressive and tolerant and enlightened you now are. For that is not walking in the truth, and that is not why John is rejoicing here. For John is not rejoicing here because some in the church want to ignore the truth and be more exclusive. John is not rejoicing here because some in the church want to throw out the truth and let people play in their sin. John is not rejoicing here because some in the church want to rewrite the truth in order to be on the right side of history. No, John is rejoicing here because there are those in this church with the backbone and the courage and with the fortitude to just stay on the path, to just continue to walk in the truth of God's word day in and day out, no matter what the worldly wise men around them are saying or proclaiming or preaching, no matter how many others are listening to them or following them or regurgitating their garbage to others. For John is rejoicing because there are those in the church who are content to just keep walking in the truth, verse 4, just as they have been commanded by the Father. Now, practically speaking, how can we do this? Or what is the one commandment that we as Christians characteristically should be walking in in all that we do? Simple, verse 5. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one that you have had from the beginning, that we love one another. John says, I ask you, dear lady, or as the King James puts it, I beseech thee, dear lady, meaning I implore you, dear lady, I entreat you, dear lady, I exhort you, dear lady, to love one another. 
And John can share this exhortation here with such fervor because this isn't something new or modern or strange to this church body. But instead, this is a commandment that those who have the truth abiding in them, verse 5, have had from the beginning. For this is the commandment that Jesus himself said in John 15, love one another as I have loved you. For this is the commandment that hearkens all the way back to the Old Testament, all the way back to the Pentateuch, or to the first five books of the Bible, where Moses writes in Leviticus 19, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. For this is the commandment that was communicated to the people of God in the Old Testament and was taught and affirmed and perfectly exemplified by Jesus. Jesus Christ throughout his earthly ministry in the New Testament. Therefore, this commandment to love one another, it is certainly not new information to John's readers, but instead it was a commandment that John's readers would have known from the very beginning of their Christian walk. And therefore, please note here, church, the discrepancy, the disparity, and the difference here between the false teachers who just whimsically make up new thoughts and new doctrines and new commandments for their followers to just blindly adhere to. And the Apostle John, who on the other hand is telling his Christian readers, I'm not making anything new up here, but instead it's just this plain, it's just this simple. The Christian life is simply keeping yourself in the commandments of God, in the truth that has not changed, does not change, and will never change, in the truth that you have had from the very beginning, thus keep yourself above all else walking in that truth. For as the Lutheran pastor Richard Lenski wrote, During the dark days of the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln visited a church service during which the pastor was praying that the Lord be on our side and give victory to our side. After the service was over, Lincoln said to the pastor, as for me, I have learned to ask but for one thing of the Lord, not that he be on my side, but that I be on his side. You see, church, to be on the Lord's side is to be on the right side. It is to be on the safe side. It is to be on, in the end, the winning side. And thus, to be on the Lord's side should always be our first concern, Christian. Thus, fret not about being on the right side of history. And who cares, church, what the newspapers and the TV pundits and the social media platforms will say about you. Instead, just focus your attention on believing and walking in the truth of God's word day in and day out, no matter the cost. In the very message that you have heard from the very beginning, for that will be, I promise you, the winning side in the end. Okay, so now just to make sure we are all on the same page. Verse 4, John rejoices that some in the church are walking in the truth. Verse 5, John reminds and exhorts his readers of the commandment that they have had from the very beginning to love one another. And of course then with John we see here in verse 6 that love is keeping the commandments. For John writes in verse 6, this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. Now do not forget here, church, that with John, truth and love, they go hand in hand. For they are always connected to each other, always in partnership with each other, and always working in cohesion with each other. 
And this is critical for us as Christians to grasp because as the late English clergyman, Alfred Plummer, put it, love divorced from duty will run riot, but duty divorced from love will starve. Again, love divorced from duty will run riot, and duty divorced from love will starve. And thus for us as Christians to truly love God, it cannot be us just saying, oh, I love God, and then going home and watching pornography all day. And it cannot be us just having feelings of euphoria toward God and then cheating individuals out of their money. Or it cannot be us just thinking about the things of God and then getting drunk and being crude and lewd and rude with our friends. Because to love God, it is to walk according to his commandments. Thus, just as no one would ever believe that I truly love my wife, If I ignored her and rejected her and did the exact opposite of what she asked me to do, similarly, it is obvious that one does not really love God if they ignore his commandments, don't walk in his commandments, and don't sacrificially love his people. Thus, it all really boils down to this, church. Do you love the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ or not? Because if you do, then that will ultimately guide your ways and your actions and the paths in which you walk in this life. For if you love the gospel of Jesus Christ, like truly and sincerely and genuinely love the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you will love to keep his commandments and love one another just as Christ loved you. For to love the truth, to love Jesus Christ is to keep his commandments. Not ignore them, not reject them, not do the opposite of them, but to actively love and walk in them. Thus walk in the gospel of Jesus Christ church and in love keep his commandments now as we close this morning I'll begin with the non-christian who is here first a non-christian we are living at a time where the phrase my truth or speaking my truth has been readily accepted by our society or the notion that one's perspective or one's experience, or one's feelings, or the measuring rods in which we use as a society in order to determine the truth. For example, just this week I was on a social media platform, and I saw a post by Good Morning America talking about a celebrity who came out as gay and who is now speaking his truth. And instantly the replies to this post came pouring in, saying things like, congrats on living your truth. It is great that you are now owning your truth, so happy because your truth can set you free. And instantly, my heart began to ache for these people, church. For it is obvious that they have been deceived and blind and have been fooled. Because to live for your own truth to live for yourself, to trust in yourself, to submit only to yourself, and in all that you do, do for the glory of yourself, it leads, non-Christian, to judgment and condemnation and eternal agony at the hands of a holy God, who is the only one who can and will through eternity define the truth that will set the captives free. And that truth that God has communicated to us is simple, non-Christian, for it is that he is God, and that he is good, and that we are man, and that we are not good. 
In fact, we are sinners who have transgressed his righteous and perfect law. And thus we can either face the wrath and the judgment and the condemnation that we deserve for our sins, or we can place our faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the one who came into this world, not to condemn the world, but to save it. For Jesus Christ saved the world, non-Christian, by breaking into the world as truly God and as truly man and living for us the life that we could never live. For although Jesus was born under the law, Just like us, unlike us, he kept every facet of that law for us. Meaning Jesus Christ, he lived a life that was without sin or transgression or offense. And thus he perfectly and completely fulfilled the law of God for the children of God. However, this God-man, this Jesus Christ, not only did he fulfill the law of God for the children of God, but he also was the perfect and spotless sacrifice needed to pay the price for their breaking of the law. Thus, Jesus Christ, he died a sinner's death in their place, for he was crucified on that cross at Calvary, died and was buried, the righteous Son of God dying for the unrighteous. However, this perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, it appeased the wrath of a holy God toward his sinful children. Thus, three days later, Jesus Christ, he did not stay in the tomb, but was instead, he instead triumphantly rose from the grave, displaying to the world that he had indeed defeated sin and crushed death and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. And thus, non-Christian, let today be the day that you turn from your sin. Let today be the day that you repent of your sin and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone, as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin, and can clothe you in his perfect life and reconcile you back to God forever. For that is the only truth, non-Christian, that will ever set you free. For that is the only truth that will ever offer you the grace needed to be saved from your sin, the mercy needed to not be condemned for your sin, and a peace with God that will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus now and forevermore. Thus let today be the day, non-Christian, that you place your faith in Jesus Christ and be freed from the punishment that you deserve for your sin and receive the gift of eternal life. And to the Christian who is here today, Brother Christian, sister Christian, we again find ourselves wrestling with this concept of what does it mean to walk in truth and love? Or how should we as Christians be united in both truth and love? And as one commentator described it, if truth and love for the Christian were to be placed on the scale, they ought to balance each other out perfectly. However, what we are seeing far too often today within the realm of American Christianity, if you will, is that the desire for love far outweighs the desire for truth, or that the desire to accept sin in the name of love, or in the name of unity, or in the name of tolerance, it far outweighs the desire to call people to repent of their sin and to point them back to the truth. 
And thus, as I was contemplating what I wanted to share in terms of how we as a church body must balance out love and truth, I was reminded of a passage from the epistle of Jude. Now, if you weren't here back when I started in November of 2019, which most of you were not, Jude was the first book I preached through. And Jude, right before his doxology, he writes this. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Now, church, we know that in these last times there will be scoffers of Christianity. There will be mockers of Christianity, and there will be false teachers preaching against Christianity. However, here's what we need to remember, church. It is these who cause division within the church. And thus, it is foolish for the Christian or the church or for a denomination to say to the scoffer that we don't want to contend for the virgin birth, we just want to love. Or to the mocker that we don't want to defend the statement that Jesus is the only way that leads to eternal life. We just want to be one. Or to the false teacher that we don't want to insist that you should keep all of God's commandments because we just want to be united. And thus it doesn't matter what biblical truths you believe or don't believe. Just come in, join the church, and let's be united in love. Because you see, church, those scoffers, those mockers, those false teachers who get into a church body at the expense of the truth of God's word, it is those who cause division. Thus, my point here is this. If we want to be a church that is strong and united and bold in the way we love each other, then our love for each other must be foundationally built upon the truth of God's word, on the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints, because if we become a church that is willing to neglect the truth or overlook the truth and put the truth aside as a means to accept and tolerate sin and pretend that it's love, then we don't have the church of Jesus Christ. We have a social club, a social club where division will arise and eventually the whole thing will fall apart. However, if we be a church that is willing to walk in the truth, to hold fast to the truth, and to hold forth the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ as the foundation of our love for each other, that what we have is the church of Jesus Christ and the gates of hell that will not prevail against it. So yes, church, when you look around, we're a diverse group of people, people from different backgrounds, different races, different cultures and upbringings and environments. But what unites us as a church body, what causes us to love each other as a church body, What binds us together as a church body is not our preferences or our politics. It's not how much money we make or the size of our home. It's not how we dress, where we went to school, or the reputation of our last name. Instead, we are united as a church body because of our faith in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for that is what unites us. Thus, if we just stay focused on walking in the truth, church, not veering from it, not turning from it, but day by day, faithfully walking in it together as a church body. Not only will we be united in the truth, church, but I can promise you the love of Jesus Christ, it will abound amongst us. 
Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body love your truth, Father, for your word and your will is good and acceptable and perfect, for it is what we need for salvation, it is what we need in our pursuit of holiness, and it is what we need to be glorified so that we can be fit to stand in your presence forever and ever. However, in the here and now, there are many deceivers who have gone out into the world, false teachers and scoffers and mockers, and as your word says, God, it is these who cause division. Thus, let us be a church party that does not fall victim to the deception and the falsehoods and the lies of the evil one and bring division and disunity and dissension within these church walls. Instead, I pray that we be a church body that loves your truth, that fights for your truth, and that lets your truth be the foundation which unites us. Thus, give us a spirit of perseverance, Lord, a spirit of joy and a spirit of faithfulness as we continue to love you, to walk in your truth, and to love each other in all that we do, all until we receive our full and wonderful reward in eternity with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, truth and love, they go hand in hand for the body of Jesus Christ. For it is the truth of the gospel that unites us, the truth of the gospel that saved us, that redeemed us, that made us one in Christ, and that binds us together as one body in love. Father, if we want to be a body who radically loves each other, we cannot turn from the truth, but we need to continue to grow in the truth, to follow the commandments of Christ unapologetically, no matter what the scoffers or the mockers or the false teachers of this age are saying or thinking or doing. As I have been reminded so consistently, the Christian life, it is not efficient. It is be still and know I am God. It is fight the good fight, wage the good warfare, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Father, help us just to continue to walk in you, not go down the path of the desires of the flesh, not go down the path of the lust of life, but just continue to keep our eyes on the truth of God's word and day in and day out to stay in them as a body. And our love for each other will abound. Do this work, we pray, Father. Amen. Amen. Please stand together.